Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Bible reading for this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, from verses 1 to 4. When I am done reading, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond. Oh, is that for me? <laughs> kindly, kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians 16, from verses 1 to 4. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you shall set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So um, for those who are coming for the first time, we're happy that you, you are here. But um, we are, we're coming to the end of a series that we've been doing. And it's been a series on stewardship. It has to do with, with money. It's called, Is It Your Money? And we've, we've gone through three sermons now. And we've looked at how... Uh, first and foremost, the context for talking about money in the church should always be set within the context of God's mission for the world. And in that regard, we are stewards. The money doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. But at the same time, if we are proper stewards, God isn't looking for us to just be people that take money from places. No, God wants us to make money. So wealth creation becomes part of what we do as stewards. And then last week, we looked at where the place of uh, the measure of a steward is not in the wealth creation, it's actually in the generosity. All right, so today we're going to finalize and close everything and see how it all comes full circle. But I should start with this a question. This one, is, this one is nice. I want us to answer it. What is the most embarrassing moment in your life? The most embarrassing moment in your life. You see, at this point, everybody like, eh? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, there's no way I'm telling you that. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no way. But, of course, you guys aren't speaking, but I'm the one that's speaking. And if I ask that question, I should be able to come out with it. So, without any, I, I didn't alert my wife to this, right? I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage after this. I don't know what's going to even happen to the ministry after this. But here's the most embarrassing moment in my life. So, a few years ago, no, I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you people. How would I tell you? You didn't, tell, you didn't say your own, then you now think me, I'll now say my own. I care about my marriage, and I care about the ministry as well. But I can tell you the most embarrassing moment in my family. Not in this family. I still care about my marriage. I'm saying the family before I enter this one. Sorry, mommy and daddy. All right, look. Right? Now, some of you know this, but you may not know. Maybe you don't know, if you've been coming to this church for a while, it may not have been obvious, but I'm an Ijebu man. 
And by that, it's not, you see, Ijebu-ness flows in my blood. My dad is Ijebu. My mom is Ijebu. All generations, Ijebu. Even the part of my family that is from Lagos is from the Ijebu part of Lagos, Ikorodu. Even where I live and where I pastor a church is the Ijebu side of Lagos, Leki and all of those places. <laughs> you see, you don't know your history. You people just, let's not fight, all right? Today's, today's a good day. Now, because of the Jebuness of my family, you have to understand something about Jebu people. There are few things that, may, that matter to us. There are few things that matter to us, but the ones that matter to us really matter a big deal. And one of the most cardinal things that is really important to us is Oambez. Oambez parties. It's, it's an important thing. I don't know why, I don't know how. But literally, your, your, your family name can be totally brought down if your Oambe is not good, if it's not classical, if it's not, you understand? So the band that is going to be there, the hall, the ashray B, everything has to be what? On point, on, it has to be tight. And most especially, the catering. Mm. Mm. So two, in 2005, my sister was getting married. And my parents had planned very well for this wedding. It was the first one. So they are planned very well. They had to do all of this. They had, in fact, trying not to look at them. Right there, they were, they were, everything was going well. So it now came to the place of the catering. Who are we going to give the catering to? And they decided, ah, we have this friend of ours. She was one of the best caterers in Lagos in the 80s. Now, she'd had some difficult time, you know, because everybody goes to difficult time. But she was making a comeback. And so they were thinking, ah, who will we give it to? After all, what are friends for? Ashe, not for catering for major events. <laughs> so the faithful day came. Everything was happening. You know, it was a beautiful. It was by the lagoon. The wedding was by the lagoon. The officers met there. It was beautiful. My sister's dress, she was on point. I remember the groom. He wasn't bad, but my own suit was, <laughs> I was looking on point. Like, as in, forget. You guys, I mean, forget. So everything was going well. We finished this. As we're finishing the service, you're not thinking about the reception. And the reception was also in the same place, but it's different side. So at that point, I just like, ah, where is the caterer? As you're ah, the caterer, eh, she, she's, she's coming, we, we, uh, you know. All right, okay, fine, fine, fine. She's coming, I thought we should be here by now. The next thing, after a number of minutes again, where is the caterer? She's coming. Ah, ah, it's, that's, that's not, it's not very good. Okay, but a few things happen. It's Lagos, whatever. A few minutes later, you're calling, where is the caterer? The phone is not going through. Ah, she's... So for a reception that was somewhere between one and two, the caterer did not come until around four past four. Told your neighbor and say disaster. Akoba Adaba Majari. But we saw. We saw it. It was an utter disaster. Listen, it's 17 years. I'm still remembering it. I am sweating. And I have just re-traumatized my Ijebu parents. What happened? Let me tell you what, hap what didn't happen. It wasn't for lack of eagerness that she didn't deliver. It wasn't. The woman knew my sister, probably right from where my sister was a, a little baby. So she was eager. She was enthused to want to do this thing well. So it wasn't for lack of eagerness. You know what happened? It turns out that she took another catering job for that day as well. And she did not plan that the number of hands that she had was not going to be able to help her do both of them on time. Also, she only had one delivery vehicle. And so she did not plan that that delivery vehicle would not be able to deliver to both places 
on time. In other words, eagerness is not the only ingredient for effectiveness. It will lead you, if all you have is eagerness to be effective in something, it will lead you to embarrassment like this woman. You see, Paul is writing to these guys in 1 Corinthians, but he actually wrote to them a second letter, which is 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 9, 1 to 5, Paul is telling the Corinthians, please don't fall my hand. He said that they had prepared a gift, the service to the Lord's people, verse 2. They had prepared a gift to give to some people, right? And look at what verse 2 says. I know your what? Eagerness. Eagerness to help. In fact, that eagerness to help, he used it to boast to some other Christians in Macedonia, the Philippian ones, right? And he boasted about them so much that their enthusiasm, he boasted about their enthusiasm. And he used that enthusiasm as a way to stir the Philippians to action. So verse 4, he was now saying, now, I don't want you to fall my hand. If I come with these people that I have already told that you guys are already preparing your own gift, if I come and you are not ready with the gift, what is going to happen? It will be embarrassing. You know why? Paul says, look, eagerness to help without a plan to help turns out not to be helpful at all. And the reason they were in this particular situation where Paul had to go and send somebody to go and, you know, just find out whether they had the gift ready, was because they didn't heed to what he said in the first letter. It could have all been avoided. So in this first letter, the one that Tomisi read for us, the same issue, verse 1, now about the collection for the Lord's people, as you saw in 2 Corinthians 9. He told them what to do to avoid it. Look at what he says. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So it's not just them. He's told others. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with what? Your income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections would have to be made. Paul was saying they should match their eagerness to give with a method that makes it happen. Why? Because eagerness to be generous without a plan to be generous turns out not to be generous at all. You see, we've spoken about, last week, the heart of generosity. We should have a heart of generosity, yes. But if your heart of generosity doesn't turn out to generosity, is it really generous? God calls us to, have, to be sincere with our generosity, but that same God that calls us to be sincere also calls us to be methodical with our generosity, or else it will not happen. In a recent meeting with Dick Femi and I, Dick Femi said this, if your bank account does not prove that you're a Christian, are you really a Christian? Actually, he didn't ask a question, but you know Dick Femi, I'm not going to say it as emphatic as he said it. <laughs> but what we want to do with this sermon, and this is meant to be a theological and deeply practical sermon, what we want to do with this sermon today is to help us so that our account statements will actually align with the claim that we make that we are truly God's people. Amen. Yeah. I do know that once we get into the, some of the things we want to get into, some of this is very controversial. It's been controversial before it will continue to be controversial. But I do pray that at the end of this sermon that God will clear out all controversies. I pray that some of us who are itching to hear some of these things and wanting to pick holes in the arguments can I pray for you that you will not be discipled by reactions to 
abuses of good things in your life, in somebody else's life, or historically, but that you will be discipled by the true and the living word of God. Am I speaking to somebody? Then say an amen. amen. So let us pray. I want us to pray. I want you to pray for yourself first. At this point, ask the Lord. Tell him to help you with any hardness of heart. Tell him to help you to come against any confusion. This issue brings so much discord in the body of Christ. So ask the Lord that there will not be that spirit of discord among us. Ask for a genuine and pure heart. Ask that the things that will distract you from actually listening will not come. Father, I pray, O Lord, for us today. I pray that our hearts will be receptive to your word. I pray, Lord God Almighty, as was sung, that uh, my, the words of my mouth will be pleasing to you. Father, let the word that comes today, let it be pleasing to you. Let it be pleasing. Let, pour your approval, O God. Your, put your stamp of approval upon this word. Let only truth emanate, O God, from this pulpit today in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, O Lord God, that as you do so, that you will take the sincerity of our generosity in our heart. Enable it not to be thwarted, O oh God, by our own laziness and enable this cycle to be complete to the praise and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've called this the method of a steward. The method of a steward, and we look at it under these three headings, the method expounded, the method effected, and the method rewarded. The method expounded, the method effected, the method rewarded. Now, I really do need us to be very attentive, and maybe some of us may write in this particular sermon. Okay, the method expounded. If you notice, in all our sermons, as we talk about money in church, I've avoided something, but I'm not avoiding it today. Because inevitably, when the question about money in church comes, the question that always everyone is waiting to ask, is this, to tithe or not to tithe? That is the question. Should we tithe or shouldn't we tithe? I tried to run away from it, but somehow you can never run away from it. You know, it is the, in our Q&A, it is the most frequent question that has been asked this 2022. In fact, I remember there was a time that three weeks in a row, the question on tithing came up. I'd be like, ah, how come? Is it that you didn't explain it well? No, different people were coming. Then recently... Um, an American preacher who was a tithing stalwart recently recanted his view. He said, in fact, all the books that I wrote on this thing, you should go and you should burn them. As a book say, I, are you burning the money that we gave you for, <laughs> for, the book, for those books? So are we to tithe or not to tithe? It depends on what you mean by tithe. I'm going to ask this, answer this question. But First of all, for those who don't really know what tithing is, and it's your first time they're hearing it, tithing in the Bible essentially, first of all, means a tenth. You know, in the same way, half means... No. <laughs> in, the, in the same way, half means uh, uh, temp, uh, 50%, and a quarter means 25%. Tithe, a tenth, means what? 10%. 10% of something, Right? That's what it means in the Bible. Now, when you come to Christian times, as time has developed, what does it actually mean? For a lot of people, it is a tenth of your income that actually belongs to the local church that the Bible commands us to 
give, a tenth of the income that, of your income that the Bible commands us to give to the local church. So when people are questioning tithing, they are questioning that definition of it. But I think if we are going to answer that question, we need to answer a deeper question. What is that deeper question? It is this. Um, um, what is the, um, what does the old covenant law or the old covenant, the commandment in the old covenant law, what does that have to do with Christians today? What does the old covenant law have to do with Christians today? Why? Because a lot of people that are coming, that will say, no, we are not meant to tithe. They will say, it is part of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, and it is contained within the Old Covenant law. So when you hear the word the law, the law in the Bible, right, many people just think about laws. No, the law is not laws. The law has laws in them, but the law is a covenant. It's a covenant between God and his people. God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, the way God established and maintained his covenant with them was through this thing called the law covenant. Are we together? So God established that covenant with them first to say, these are my people and these other people are my people. He established it with them on Sinai. But in any covenant, just like in marriage, right, you are going to have rules attached to it. So he's saying, if you are truly my people, this is the way you should live. That is the law covenant. Now, there are a number of commandments, some say over 600 commandments that were within that law, all right, that the people of Israel were meant to live by. So again, back to it, what does the law mean? For you guys, when you read the Old Testament and you see commandments there, what does the law mean for you guys? First thing I want to say is this, is what Paul says in Romans 6 verse 14. B, he says, you are not under the law. This you are not under the law essentially means this. You are not, Christians are not covenanted to God through this covenant. This covenant has no binding effect on Christians. If you think, I'm joking, look at another place where Paul then uses an illustration in the next chapter to explain it. He uses the illustration of marriage. He says, for example, by law, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he's what? That's forever, um, uh, till death do us part. As long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, what happens? Is she still married to him? No, she's released from the law that binds her to him. Verse 3. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. Right? Because she's bound through that law that binds her to her husband. But if she, her husband dies, she's released from the law that, and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. And see what it says in verse 5 and 6. But now, by dying, so he's applying it to now what happened to us with Christ. By dying to what once bound us. Let me stop. This is what Christians believe. When Jesus Christ died, particularly those who are under the law, when Jesus Christ died, they died to that covenant as well. So he's saying, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. So that we now serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are not under the law. It's not saying that the law was bad. It's just saying that there was a better covenant that was coming. So we are bound to him through a new covenant that Jesus Christ brought, isn't it? Now, but then the question comes, so what then do we do with three quarters of our Bible? 
How then do we live? You see, because here's the neat thing about the law. It gave us a code of commandments. There was a code of commandments. You see them from Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus. You could go there and say, ah, these are commandments. In the New Testament, you don't really have a code of commandments set in one place. So how then are we to live out new, how do we even discern the new covenant commandments? Where do we see them from? Well, the way you are going to do that, again, and this is where I really need your attention, first of all, we have to understand how commandments are formed, even in the old covenant, before we now come to the new covenant commandments. So I'm going to illustrate this pictorially. All right? How are commandments formed? Now, first thing, we have the old covenant, and then we have the new covenant. These are two time periods. All right? Now, in the old covenant, so in the old covenant, if you had a law, a commandment in the old covenant, this commandment, essentially, you can break it into two things. It really consists of two things. One, it consists of the principle and the structure. The principle or the structure of the command, and then it also consists of the specifics of the command, all right? So now, if we can decouple those two things, the principle and the structure, or the structure, and then the specifics. Now, this biblical principle and structure is not something that is only for the old covenant. It is a biblical thing. So whether it is old or new, the structure still continues. Whereas the specific, so for example, do not, in the old covenant it says, don't take, don't uh, tattoo yourself. Alright? Don't put a tattoo on yourself. If we had to break it down, it was essentially, the biblical principle and structure is, be holy. That's the biblical principle and structure. And anytime, whether in the old covenant or new covenant, God's people are meant to be what? Holy, that is, they are not meant to be worldly. But the specific of that, of that command is don't have tattoos like the Canaanites that I am, uh, Canaanite uh, people that I am bringing you into their land. Do you understand? That is the specific. But the structure always continues. So what then do we have in the new covenant? Well, we are going to use the same thing. In the new covenant, the first way we get a commandment is what you can call a new covenant. Uh, we have the same structure, but you have a new covenant, what? Specific. Let me give you an example of this. For instance, take communion. Take communion. Take communion. The biblical structure or the principle that is there is if you are God's people, you need a holy meal to celebrate worship. In the old covenant, the old covenant specific of that will be the Passover meal. Are you understanding? But we don't celebrate a Passover meal. We have a new testament, a new covenant specific. Do you still see that the principle and structure remains? But now you have a new covenant specific. So take communion is a new covenant uh, commandment, right? Finish it up. All right. So we can put it together, and that gives us a new covenant command commandment. All right. That's the first way we get new covenant commands. But there is a second way. And the second way, you may not have a specific, let's go to the second one, right? So now, you don't have a specific given that is a new covenant specific. In fact, the same specific that was in the old covenant is the same specific that is in the new covenant. So it's not even an old covenant specific, it is a biblical specific. Let me give you an example. In the old covenant, it says, do not commit adultery. And so I say, eh, but you know that's new covenant. That's old covenant. We don't, we don't, uh, we, we, there's a new covenant way. You know, it doesn't really 
apply. It's not, yeah, that was, you see, there's a structure. The structure there is, but you know, I can have three wives. No, 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 you can't. Both in the old and in the new. It's one man, one wife. All right? So, the don't commit adultery in the new covenant. The reason why you are not, uh, the, 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 the commandment don't commit adultery applies to us is not because we are under the law. I hope you are following me. It's not because we are under the law. We are under the new covenant. However, the specific of this particular commandment is the same for both the old covenant and the new covenant. Are we following so far? So you've seen the first way you get a new covenant command, right? I'm finishing this up. The first way you get a new covenant command, and then the second way you get a new covenant command. Finished now. All right. Now, the third one is, just hold on with the third one. We have a situation where sometimes... You have this principle of this structure, but you find no specifics. It, there is no whole biblical specific, neither is there any new covenant specific. But you can't just have the principle and the structure without a specific. Are you following me? Huh? So what then do we do? Well, what we do is that we have the structure and the principle, but we look for guides either outside the Bible or within the Bible to help us with that. So let's go with this. So, for instance, the Bible says keep the Sabbath. That is in the Old Covenant. We are not bound under that. What is the principle there? The principle there is that you are called to rest as a means to show that you are dependent on God for your income, not on just your work. Now, in the Old Covenant, it was one day between Friday, is it Friday night? No, Saturday, Friday night to Saturday evening. Friday evening to Saturday evening. Do you understand? So when we now come to the new covenant, there is, the principle is, it remains, we should rest. What day should we rest? How should we do it? What We don't have. So what do we do? We can look to the old covenant. It's an old covenant. What's the old covenant specific? Friday evening to Saturday evening, one 24-hour day, and we can use it now not as an Old Testament specific, but as a new covenant guide. So when it comes together, when they come together, we don't, yeah, keep going, when it, keep going, when it comes together, we don't really have what you call a new covenant command, but we have a new covenant practice. Are we following is a new covenant practice because the specifics you may work out may not be specific for another person. So you can't say this is the commandment. Nonetheless, it is not just very relative that anybody can do, uh, I can decide not to do it or not. No, you must keep the structure and the principle there. Are we, are we now together? This is exactly where the tithe comes in. When you talk about keeping on tithe, there is a principle that is there. And then we can then talk about the specific. Let's talk about the principle and see how it goes from the old to the new. You will see the principle works both in the old and new. I want to compare two scriptures. Deuteronomy 14, verse 28, 29. And then 1 Corinthians 9, 7 to 14. So Deuteronomy 14, 28, 29. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes. Notice it's not one tithe. It is it's how many tithes? Plural. So it's all the tithes. So there were a number of tithes. It wasn't just one tithe. Some would say there are three tithes, all right? But he's saying bring all the tithes. Why are the tithes uh, given? I store it in your house, in the towns, 
In that time, it was towns. By the time you get to the new, by the time you get to when they had entered into um, the, the, uh, the, the promised land, they built a temple. It was now the storehouse of the temple. That's why in Malachi, that scripture none of us like. It says, bring all the, to- the tithes into what? The storehouse of the temple. All right. So at the end of it, now, so that, why was he giving? So that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, we'll come back to that later, foreigners, fatherless, widows, that live in your towns may come and eat satisfied and all of that. So you brought it in for it was going to be used for some members of the community. Okay? But now let's remember the Levites that are there. The Levites are people that work in the temple. They don't farm like most of the other Israelites. They work solely in the temple. Okay. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Paul is talking to this same Corinthians. He says, who serves, and he's talking about how people do, do in ministry. He says, who serves, a, who serves a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard that does not eat his grapes? Who tends flock and does not drink milk, the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading the grain. Is, God, uh, is, uh, is it about oxen that God is concerned Stop. Do you see the principle here? Somebody who has flock is drinking from the milk of his flock. Somebody who has a vineyard is taking from the grapes of the vineyard. Somebody, uh, a, an ox that is treading corn to produce is also eating from what? The corn. In other words, Somebody who is participating in a particular line of work is also getting he, the income from the line of work. Is this clear? Keep going. Surely he is not talking about oxen. He's, he's talking about us. Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown, and this is where he's now applying it, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So someone is dealing with spiritual stuff, someone is dealing with material things. Are we together? In the same way that the Levites were. The Levites were dealing with the work of the temple, so the people who were farming were bringing tithes, and part of it was going to the Levites. Are we seeing the structure? If you don't see it, let's finish. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? That's right. Don't you know that those who, and now you see it, those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share what is offered on the altar. Stop, stop, stop. Some people then say, eh, yeah, yeah, but this still Old Testament stuff is not, it doesn't really apply, verse 14. Read 14 together with me. In the same way, stop. Principle. In the same word, we, from the old, now to the new principle. In the same way, then continue. Stop. The Lord has suggested. So now we have a new covenant word. A new covenant word, command here. The Lord has what? Commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive what? They're living from the gospel. So it is in this regard, this, now what is the principle? The principle so much isn't everybody must bring 10%. No, the principle is this. Everyone who will call themselves a Christian and you belong to a church, you are required, not suggested, you are required 
to consistently bring a portion of your income and give it to the church. That is a commandment. Consistently and a portion give it to the church. Amen. Amen. Now what about the specifics? Now the specifics... They are not. I don't want to read the other scriptures. You can compare. Um, um, Galatians 6.6 6 also says, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, we should be able to reap a material harvest. And you can compare that with, is it numbers? Something numbers I can't remember quite well. But what about the specifics? Now, this is where it gets tri tricky. If you check the whole of the New Covenant, there is the New Testament Covenant. There is no specific of what that proportion is. There is not. So for some people, right, it is more than 10%. For a lot of people, it is less than 10%. But for some people, it is 10%. Why? They now took, some people take the old covenant word, the old covenant command, and they use it as a New Testament word. And can I say to you, 10% is a very, very, very good guide. It's a very good guide. Personally, my wife and I, we give 10%. Not only 10%, but for the, the specific way to the regular giving, we give 10%. And we give 10% because it disciples us, it disciplines us. Because, as I said last week, we all have tendency to be greedy. I have tendency to be greedy. I have things I want to spend money on. So I don't want my, the impulse, the greedy impulse of my heart, I don't want it to come and compromise the works of my hands. So immediately I said 10%. And let me say this to everyone, and this is true. I've said this somewhere before, but I'll, I'll repeat it. For, forgive me if you've heard it before. It's been said that the most generous church in human history, the most generous church that is in terms of the people, the, 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 the giving of the people, is actually the American Evangelical Church. The American Evangelical Church of the of 20th century to 21st. It said that in terms of giving, they had been the most generous church. And there was a survey that was done of all of, uh, of a number of those churches. A huge survey. This is the most generous church. Do you know how much it said on the average that their members gave of their income? 2%. 2%. Here's what I am absolutely convinced about. I am absolutely convinced. If every single member of every church in the world gave 10% of their income, the church will never know any want or any need again. If we give 10%, it's a very good guide. It's a very what? Good guide. Now, notice what I haven't said. I haven't said that the New Testament says it's 10%. But I'm saying it's a very what? Good guide as well. So this is why we encourage tithing. Some people call tithing. What they just mean is that there is their regular income. So if you're asking the question, does city church encourage tithing or not, we do, depending on what you call tithing. But what we are saying is get a portion out of your income and, and give to the church. Specify what that is. Now, but there's something I want to say about this issue that we also have to be thinking about it a little bit deeper. Because sometimes, again, there is a debased nature of the way people talk about this thing. People just want to get in and just say, is it this amount? Is it this amount? Show me where in the Bible. Show me where in the Bible. And many times it's like, even the way you are coming at, at this question, it shows that you have a problem. And I'll get to that in the second point. But let me just say, let's think about this deeper. 
one of the things that is often overlooked in this thing is that we don't take, we don't see how our relationship with God and his people often affects our identity in relation to God and his people. We don't see how that affects our giving. Let me explain. In the Old Covenant, notice when he was saying they should bring all the tithes. What were the tithes for? Who were the tithes for? And people and whatever. You know why? It was actually given to people in the community. They recognized that they were part of God's people and they were responsible to ensure that the community of God's people were okay. Whether it was those doing the spiritual work or those who were vulnerable and poor in the society. Are we following? They recognized they were part of a community and therefore they had a responsibility. They didn't see this sort of thing that we have, that my, I have a relationship, personal relationship with God. It's true, we do. We all have a personal relationship with God. On the final day, God is going to judge you. He's not going to judge me. Although as a teacher, he's going to judge me for how I'm going to give an account for you. Are you, are you following? That's what James says. They'll give an account. We are intricately linked. Listen, our lives, our Christian life is personal, but it's never private. It is meant to be communally lived out. Think about it this way. In fact, this is what Jesus says about the whole old covenant. All those laws. He says, the greatest of those commands is what? Love God. The greatest of the commandments is what? Love God. You see, somebody say, you see, that is it. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about, my personal relationship with God. He says the second greatest commandment, but is connected to the first. He says you should what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So when John says, how is it that you say you love God that you cannot see, but the brother that you can see, you have not loved them? He said the love of God is not in you. So guys, part of the issue of giving is that we're part of coming to think about this. If someone, if someone, if we find out in this church that somebody is abusing their spouse, is actually abusing their spouse, and you found out, what would you do? Wouldn't you come and meet the leaders of the church? Why? We say, no, that's their personal issue. We won't say that. Why? Because we are part of what? A community. We are not meant to ignore that. If we find out that somebody has committed a terrible fraud, Fraud and it's public news. Should we say, well, that is the person's problem? We're there. Our own is uh, let him tithe the fraud. Uh, God has a way of sanctifying it. Please, if you have committed fraud, uh, don't tell us. <laughs> Just uh, edit that out. That's not, it was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> We don't, you don't say ignore it. Why? Because we are all sort of linked. Because though we have a personal relationship with God, our personal relationship with God is always lived out how? Communally. Therefore, how is it that if you have been part of a community and you are not giving out of your income consistently a proportion of it, should we also ignore that? Because once it comes to money, that's where everybody says, you know, it's my personal relationship with God. I have to just give as I, have, I feel led. That's what supposed to start throwing out. Jesus said that your right hand should not know what you're left. My friend, stop twisting the scriptures. <laughs> Guys, we are part of a community. So we put a method to this thing because we care about how the community is. So what I want to first say is this. When you think about the tithing thing, I've already shown you, right, how it is in the Bible. So let me one say that we have mandated it. But I'm also showing you what is mandated. But at the same time, can you think deeper about this? Turn to your neighbor and say, think deeper about it. You see, because the love of the community, this love, the community is meant to be bound together in love. 
But love, we can't hold love. We can't touch love. Love is only expressed as we spend our commonwealth. Love is only expressed as we spend our commonwealth. Do you know we have a commonwealth? The church together is a spiritual, social, economic community. Spiritual, we have spiritual gifts. If you have spiritual gifts and you're not using those spiritual gifts, you cannot say that you have love. Amen? So we expand the spiritual gift, whether you are singing, whether you are teaching, whether you are helping, whether you are... All of those things, we expand the love by spending out of our commonwealth. At the same time, we also are social, right? You cannot say eh, that I'm, I'm, a I'm, I'm a member of a church, but I just like to be on my own, on my own. So when somebody is in difficulty, when somebody is having an issue, we can't even be there for one another. No, we are social as well. It's part of our commonwealth. And at the same time, our finances also are part of what? Our commonwealth. It is important that we continue to ensure that the house of the Lord is kept. Amen. That takes me to my second point. The method effected. Wow, time has already gone very quickly. And this one is, I've not even started. How can we therefore be effective? How can we be effective? Now I want to say, with the things that I'm going to say now, I have come here to help you. I have not come here to condemn you. Amen? Amen. Say, turn to your neighbor and say, he's not here to condemn to the other neighbor and say, he's here to help. Now, the moment I say that, you know what's coming. I'm about to speak some hard truths, but I come in love. I speak some hard truths in love. Sometimes we just have to bring out the, the, the koboko. But have you ever been beaten with koboko in love? Uh, some people said, no, there's a way to beat somebody in koboko in love. The harder, the better. Because the koboko then will drive out the thing that is inside. All these small, small things doesn't drive out anything. No, but I do feel like there are some underlying problems that I have seen, pastoring for a while, to, I've seen in people, and I want to call those things out because it is only in these ways that we can truly be effective. And I think there are three problems we must deal with in this issue. We must deal, there's a value problem, there is a moral problem, and then there is a planning problem. A value problem, a moral problem, and a planning problem. So let's start with each of them. Uh, let's look, take a deep dive into each of them. Value problem. Some people will ask to say something like this. Can't I give my tithe, my regular giving, can't I give it to the poor? Must I give it to church? Can't I give it to my family members? Can't I give it to an NGO? I tithe though, I just don't give the tithe to church. Two times in a year I give it to church, but I'm always giving. Can't I do that? You can, but first of all, don't be mischievous. Because you are being mischievous. In fact, you are doing like what the Pharisees did. In Mark 7, verses 9 to 12, Jesus condemns the Pharisees. And he says they, they have a good way of doing something. They take one law, and they use that law to nullify another law. They took one law in the Old Testament. They elaborated on the law so that it became a tradition. And when they took that tradition, they used that tradition to nullify another law. So there was something in the Old Testament that said you can devote something as a vow to God, right? They came up with an elaborate way. So you call it Korban, where you say it's Korban, is devoted to the Lord. He's there, it's true, but they made it very elaborate. And so they now took, they said, when somebody says something is devoted, which was meant to be for their father and mother, they say it's devoted, ah, they have to give it to the temple. He said, do you see what you are doing? You are taking a law and using it to nullify another one. Please don't be like the Pharisees. 
Should you give to the poor? Should you give to, the, uh, to people who are vulnerable? Yes, yes. I'm not trying to boast, but I'm, my wife and I, at least, when I said giving, is that we do 10%, in total, we are giving close to 20. In fact, not 20, and that's because we are giving to others. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't. So don't bring that to me and say, hey, I'm giving to this place. You are meant to give to those places, but let me tell you something. The church is unique. In fact, I will even say this, give to the church first. I said it. Give to the church first. The church is what? Unique. Jesus says, I will build my church. He did not say, I will build an orphanage home. He didn't say, I will build this other family. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Again, I'm not saying don't give to the orphanage. As a church, we give to an orphanage. So don't throw that thing at me. But in fact, if the church did not exist, which church would not give to that orphanage? So we are meant to give to all these places, yes. But the church is unique. And part of the reason why we have this thing over and over going on again is because, I can't lie to you, there is so much devaluing of the church. People devalue church. Okay, I'm not, you can say, are you talking about every church? Let me just talk about my own church that I know. But people devalue the church. And you know what's worse? The bad thing is this. As they are devaluing the church, the church cannot say, this is who we are uniquely, or this is the things we do. We can't say that because if we do that, that is going to be boasting, and we all know it is foolish to boast. So we have to keep quiet. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 to 29, Paul said that, I shouldn't boast, but I'm going to boast. He said, I'm foolish to do this thing, but I will do it. And please, you are going to permit me to be foolish this morning, because I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast about the uniqueness of the church. The church is not just like any place. I can list at least nine different things that the church does. Just nine, and there are a whole lot more. First of all, the church is a teaching center. Most of us come here, we are, we are, we are being taught all the time, right? Taught, 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 whether it's here, whether it's theology day, whether it is through your gospel communities. Your children are not here now. What are they being done? What is being done to them? Eh? Second, the church is a connection center. Some of us here have met our better halves. Or the, the, the half that will be better. <laughs> Some of us here have been married, and it was through that marriage, the connection that you have to the marriage, that a lot of church people helped you. They helped you. And when I mean help, you know what I mean by help. We put account here. And you are very helped. Amen? Amen. Some of you, it is through the church that you have gotten jobs. It is through the church that somebody has make, made a recommendation for you. Third, the church itself is, it is where you get special blessings. How many of you go to the government, uh, how many of you go to the government to have your child dedicated? How many of you go to an NGO to conduct a funeral service for you? How many of you go to your office to conduct your marriage, uh, your, to do your marriage blessing for you? No, that's the church, isn't it? Oh, I'm still talking. I, I'm, I'm, I am foolish to talk like this, but I will, I will be more foolish. Worship service. You just say, it's just a worship service. Are you serious? Have you tried singing on your own? <laughs> Apart from the damage that you do to people all around. Do the singing on your own. Do the conversion on your own. Do the, do the prayers on your own. Do everything. Do it on your own. Do it for three weeks and see whether it's okay. Added to that is this. We talk about the gifts that we have. Well, it is in the church that first, sometimes that gift is developed and then that gift is deployed. Some people feel like you are first doing us a favor when we say, come and serve here, come and serve here. We know some of you enjoy serving where you serve. 
Because when God has deposited something, you know to use it, it feels one kind. But when you use it, you feel alive. I'm not done yet. Thank you. But we are still going. For some of us, I'm not going to say this thing. The church has literally made you not fall. You have gone through very difficult issues. Very difficult issues that you thought, I am going to collapse. One person is there to, to, to give you food. Another person is there to come and sleep in your house. Another person, and you say, no, those are individuals. Where did you meet those individuals? For some of us, it is counseling. We will do premarital counseling. We will do postmarital counseling. We will counsel you for your life. We will counsel you for your parenting. We will counsel you. All of these things we keep doing. First of all, okay, let's even take the giving thing. How many of you on your own can sponsor a church plant? Uh, one or two of you that can't. But not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but you will come and you now say, ah, you now say, ah, the church that we are sponsoring, that we are sponsoring in Badore, that we were sponsoring. Or then we talk about even the, let's give to the poor, let's give to the poor. Ah, our church, we, we support an orphanage, we're able to help this person that was doing, uh, that was, uh, whatever, in cancer, we pay this bill, we pay, which we? Is it not we? Yeah. Because your own money is own. The church is a place where you can pull your resources to do the things that God has called us to do. Yeah. Now, here's another catch. All of these things that I've just said, we do it regularly, and there's a stability to it regularly and there's a stability to it every service this church for us five years has not missed one service there is a stability and irregularity to it now let me ask you three questions all of the things i've said show me one organization in the entire world that does all these things one they may do one they may do two but no organization does all these things i've said second question if they even do some of them how many of them are equipped to do all of it. None. Another one. How many of them that do even some of this, how many of them give it to you, deliver it to you, free at the point of delivery? None. Now let me tell you something. The fact that we deliver, it, we, it is free, uh, it is free at the point of delivery, doesn't mean that at any point it is always free to deliver. It costs us. We too have regular bills like you. We pay regular rent, we pay operational bills, we pay people, we do all of those things. So you see the stability, you see the regularity. Now here's the thing, you get these things regularly given to you, all the time. You also get a regular income, but when it is now time to transfer from the income to the regularity of this thing, it is I feel as I'm led. Come on. Isn't it a responsibility and a kindness of you? Responsibility first, but also a kindness. To say, I will take of what I have. I will not cheat God. Someone said, don't bring in Malachi 3. If you continue like this, yes, you are robbing God. You are robbing God. I finished my boasting. <laughs> but there's a, second, there's a second point. Now, let's talk about the moral issue. Because this is also connected. There are those whose practices are often evidence of something, something underneath that is more sinister. I'll give you a couple of examples. There are some people, and I've decided to take Jesus' approach on this. There are some people that will say, um, they, they are what you call anti-tithe crusaders. It's not just that they have 
They're arguing, they're having small debates with their friends about these things, the way the church teaches it the best way. No, no, no. They are going to every single church. They are doing podcasts about it. They are doing everything. They are just going all around. Show me, show me, show me. As far as they are concerned, the Bible is only written about the tithe. They do nothing else. Now, I decided I am no longer giving any of those people attention. You know why? Do you know why? Jesus, once some people came to meet Jesus and asked Jesus a question, they wanted to trap him. So, Jesus said, eh, okay. This question you're asking me, I want to ask you a question first. Because he knew what was under. It was about John the Baptist, whether they thought John... Uh, um, uh, uh, he asked them whether John the Baptist was a true prophet. They didn't know. If they said this, if they said this, they, they knew that they would be in trouble with one side or the other. So they decided, they said they don't know. Jesus said, if you don't know, therefore me too, I'm not going to answer your question. For anti-church, anti-tithe crusaders, this is one question. I, first of all, most of them, most of these anti-tithe crusaders, they are not part of a church. Sure you know. They are not part of a church. Second, this is the question I ask. This question they are asking me about the tithe, about whether we should give 10% or not, this question, I just want to find out. Now, you people, you know my position already. But I just want to find out, are you asking this question so that you can give above the 10% or below the 10%? And guess what? They are not really able to answer the question. And so I say, therefore, I'm not going to give you the answer to. Because 90-something percent of the people who are going, it's not 10%. Now, even though they will eventually say, we should give as we ought to. Ask them to calculate their giving. Are they giving 12%? Are they giving 30%? So they are not arguing. They'll say they're arguing for the poor. Most of them are not poor. Are you giving 10%, 12%? Amen? Because there is a sense of what they are trying to do is really to have control over the money. That's what is at the heart of it. I know somebody, I'm sorry to say, so I've spoken to somebody in this church before, one time I spoke to the person and said, how come this you're giving is not, it's not a, I know you are okay. In fact, I know you are very, very okay. In fact, you told me you are very, very okay. <laughs> after your last two promotions. But that okayness is not showing. What's up? Uh, somebody's opening their mouth. Yes, we ask people though. Just so you know, if you're a member of this church, we can ask you. Remember, because if you are, if you are murdering somebody, we should ask. If you are abusing somebody, we should ask. Yes, it's our responsibility. So I asked the person, how far? The only person told me, the person said, they borrowed one person some money. They borrowed somebody some money. That person hasn't paid them back. That when that person pays back, they will start giving to church. Oh, man, we should be careful about how sin can make us say foolish things. For some of us, it is, I've heard this one before. The problem was, oh, I have taken a massive loan. I'm building a house. So this person has taken a massive loan to build a house. And because they are building the house, they're like, there's nothing I can do now because almost all my money is going. All that is left is what my family and I will use to feed, really. So your house, whereas this is the house of God. Have you read Haggai chapter 1 before? Haggai 1.6. You have planted much, but harvested little. Ah, that's not good. You eat, but never have enough. Ah, not good. You drink, but never have your fill. Ah, you put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is not a good situation, is it? Verse 9, we'll explain. You expected much, but you see, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. And you ask, why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Why? 
because my house, which remains a ruin, while because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with what? I should have sent this passage to that person. And please don't tell me the Old Testament again. Please, let's, let's not do that. Someone say, you are bringing a devourer thing. <laughs> if you like, don't believe there's a devourer. There is. Now, let me tell you, somebody will say, but that person is prospering. In, 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 uh, probably nothing has happened to their income. Actually, yes. Sometimes nothing happens to your income. Last week, what did I say? I said there are two things that can happen to somebody when you decide not to be generous. If you see that God's blessing is like, a, is like a river, what does it do? Two things can happen. One, the river will dry up, right? So their income dries up. Or two, actually the river doesn't dry up. The river continues to flow. And it eventually, what? it flows, flows, flows. It stops until what? it blows them up. Sometimes the way we reap, the bad things we reap is not a money. It is what the money does to us. Sometimes we repeat in bad things in our lives. And I can tell you, people that have done those kinds of things, the sin in their lives has actually wounded them in such a way they are close to not being Christians again. Be careful with these things, guys. Because as, as I said, at the heart of it is control. We want to control. It's my money. But we've, the question of this series is what? Why not be like the early Christians? Let me show you Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Look, look at what it says about the early Christians. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it where? At the apostles' feet. And the apostles were the ones that distributed it to anyone who had need. And that was exactly the same thing that Barnabas did. But, but, eh, but how can I trust that when I give it to them, that they will use the money for what the money is meant to be used for. First of all, you are not the leader, you are not part of the leaders of the church, so that's not responsible. But second, if you don't trust that they will use it in the right way, you, are, you should not be in that church. If you cannot trust the people that you are saying are putting this money for, then you should not be in the church. The issue is not whether you should be controlling it. The issue is not about whether you should be controlling your money. You should be controlling your feet. Leave if they are not trustworthy. But if you feel they are trustworthy and you stay there, then you should deal with this issue of control. Submit it at the apostles' feet. Amen. I'm not calling myself an apostle, just so you know. <laughs> but to leadership. But that's the third one, planning. Now, it should, before I say what I want to say here again, because these things, you almost have to always keep balancing, balancing, balancing. I want to commend a lot of us here. Because you are just like what Paul says about the Macedonian Christians. He said this to the Corinthians again, so that they don't fall his hand. But these Macedonian Christians were wonderful people. He said they gave to Corinthians, uh, uh, I think, nine. He said, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. He then says, in fact, they exceeded our expectations. There are some of us in this church, I can't lie to you, you have exceeded our expectations. And may the Lord multiply your seed for that. They exceeded. Continue in that way. Now, but a second group of us, I want to say, you see, the Macedonians were in a severe trial. But trial past trial. 
You know that. The Macedonians were giving to some other people whose trials were even worse than, than them. That was the Jerusalem church. They had a terrible famine. Are you following? So what I'm going to say is not to the first group, and this second group is not to you. There are some of us who have hit hard times, terrible times, like real, real bad times. And that is why, because of the generosity of others, that is also why we have, and because the church also puts this, that's why we have a mercy ministry fund, right? And that's why some of us are able to apply and we will give generously. So I'm not talking about people who have done so well, and I'm not talking about people who have done what so badly. Are you, are you not badly, are you, who are not doing, people who are, are in very, very difficult times, all right? I'm not talking about that. We've taken care of those two, all right? Now let's talk about those in the middle. PF, ah, inflation. Inflation is killing us. Severe trial, inflation, rising inflation, everything keeps changing. Gas is changing, Indomie is changing, Frankfurt, everything is changing. That's why I'm not able to give as much. First of all, I want to say, do you see the, the Macedonians? They gave when? In a severe trial. Let's call that severe trial inflation. First of all, the inflation is not only happening in Nigeria. Just for those who are thinking of Jack Mine, right? It's a, it's a global inflation. You may not know. You may go from frying pan. <laughs> I'm just saying. Because inflation in Naira and inflation in pounds. Just saying. Uh -huh. Double inflated. All right? Some of us, the problem is we don't plan with, you know, remember that acronym, TOSIS? We don't plan with TOSIS in mind. We don't. In fact, for many of us, it is CISOT. <laughs> you know what TOSIS is? Remember what TOSIS is? Tithing, offering, saving, saving investment, spending. So some of us, we don't do that. We do what? CISOT. Spending, investing. And, uh, if you get there. You may even do, it may just be, it may be CISO. <laughs> it may be CISO. Now, some of it is even CIS. It's even CIS. There's one O in the middle of the year, somewhere like that. But here's the thing. There are three things I want to say here. First of all, if you do plan with that, and that was the order matters. The order matters that you first give to God first. Now, if you plan, I remember talking to somebody, either I think this year or last year, and I said, the reason why you, I just said, like, she, when your income comes, how do you use it? I said, a person said, oh, I use it there, I use it there, I use it there, and then they give. I said, sure you know, if you just planned and you just proportioned these things, you'll be able to give to church in this way. And this person, very brilliant person, looked and said, ah, I had never thought about it that way. After I've given everything I want to give, I now give to church. Yeah. The next month, the person started to give over four times what he had been giving before. Over what? Four times. Just because they reordered how they were thinking about their giving. Amen. Second, for some of us, again, thinking tosses in mind, some of us be like, it's almost like, I should be generous to church, but I, I, I should, I mean, church at the same time. Let me give you an example. Some of you, it's like, let's say you are earning 200K, and then you are giving like 10K. And then somehow, God just, you know, buttered your bread. I don't mean God margarine your bread. You know, margarine, margarine. But when God, God butters your bread, you see, margarine your bread is that your salary went to 250K. But when God puts butter, 
Somebody needs butter today. When God spreads butter on your bread, that's like going from 200K to 600K. Who needs butter in this house? Amen. Amen. Receive your butter. And there are different types of butter. Just so you know, there's president butter, there's anchor butter. Ah, if anchor butter is too. Oh, no. So God buttered your bread. You went from 200K and you went to what? 800K. And so it's like 800. So I was giving church. I was giving, how much was that given on 200? 10K. Let's say, let's say you are giving 20K. Tight. Let's say you are giving 20K. So you're like, ah, I've been giving 20K and the church has been surviving. And I say, I now want to tie. Ah, I will now give church 80K. <laughs> ah, ah. Church, now what are you 80? Ah. <laughs> and literally, I'm telling you, I'm sure there are some people here, they're like, you can, you should be giving 500,000 every month. But you'll be like, ah, would I just drop 500? What's church using it for? <laughs> See, Please, if you want to know what we are using it for, I can give you a list. Because, see, the Lucas is. Because, come on, let's, let's, let's be real. You know, we have done financial seminar. We did the whole savings investment. We did all of that. You are going to make money. We are, see, we have done seminar. We have done teaching. I put anointing on top of it. You are, many people are going to blow here. Uh, wait, 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 wait. But as you are blowing, we, we, we need to blow too. And the way you are going to blow is this. You can't, and, and I'm, no, I'm serious. Put the percentage to your income. Somebody, I thank God for them. Somebody came to meet me at the, at the end of last year and said, they were convicted as a family. He said, why? He said, because they were earning in USD. And as the exchange rate kept going, they didn't increase their giving. Somebody said, ah, we, we already said 50K. 50K is good. No, but you know that actually as the USD is given, some of you, it has doubled. Why can't you do that? Because you are not setting percentages to it. Amen? Yeah. This truth is, is hard and sweet, have you? Because turn to your neighbor and say, what adjustment are you going to make today? <laughs> but this is the third one. Let's deal with the inflation thing. I want to do some mathematics now. Let's do the inflation thing. Let's do the inflation thing. And let us assume. Let's take TO as one bucket. And then let's take the other SIS as, as the as other buckets, right? To SIS, all right? So we have four buckets, okay? Are we together? So let us say you earn 100,000 naira. 100,000 naira. TO, you have said 20%. I, 10%. S, eh, sorry, S, so TO, Titan and offering 20%. Your savings, is it right? Yeah. Savings is what? 10%. Your investment, 10, 20%, and then you're spending 50. All right, are we together? 20, 10, 20, 50. So when you get, to, let's say you are being paid 100,000. So how do you split your 100,000? 20,000 naira for giving, right, in various places. 10,000 for savings. 20,000 for, for investment. And then how much? 50,000. Are we together? It's very simple. Almighty inflation hits this month. And so that inflation hits, and the inflation itself is 20%. Now, what is inflation? What does that mean? It just means that the cost of goods have gone up by 20% on an average. So that means that your indomie that you used to buy at 200 now is 240 now. I'm not saying indomie is 200 or 240. I'm not. Don't, because I did one pure water on one day like this, and people have not forgiven me. I'm not quite sure what it is. All right? The soap that you used to buy 
for 500 naira is now 600 naira. So all of those things, it only affects the spending. So if you are going to keep buying the same things that you've been buying, you have to then say that 20% now goes to your 50,000 naira. There is going to be an additional what? 10,000. So now all of a sudden, if you are going to keep buying those things, your 50,000 is no longer 50, but it's now going to be what? 60,000. But your wage has not increased. So what do you then do? So ah, I have to keep buying, I have to keep chopping, I have to show you get. Like I did this thing now. After all, you said don't chop your seed, uh, chop your, don't chop your, uh, uh, don't, don't bury your bread. Eh? You not quote back PF sermon. You say he said don't bury your bread, chop your bread, plant your seed. Eh? So I'm, I'm, I'm chopping my bread and I'm planting my seed. Therefore, 60K, I keep spending my seed, right? 20K, I keep investing. 10K, I keep saving. Oh, what's left now? Because well, that's 90K. So what's left? Uh, after all, God is in control of the whole world. You saw the inflation. So, saw the inflation was there. So, so what happens? So, tithe and offering is now what? 10,000. It's okay, but we are still dancing for the Lord. Then, six months after, because things are really bad, another 10% inflation hits the current price. So your 60,000, 10% of 60 is what? Six. So now it is now 66,000. My must, I can't come and, with all the things that are going on, the egg barrels and everything, please, I can't come and kill myself. So you do 66,000, I must still plan for my future. 20,000, I must still save for emergency. 10,000, what happens? How much is left? 4K. 4K. You say, but my, because my income has not changed. So what has happened? In order to keep your lifestyle with 32% rising inflation, because that's what it works out to, you have cut your giving by 80%. 80% to keep the lifestyle. In fact, uh, that's one alternative. But let, me, let me show you another one. Now, uh, bring up the first chart. This chart, you know what it is? This is the Oceanian household energy cost. For 2022, this is really, I'm not joking, this is, I, we have to measure the energy, <laughs> energy cost in my house. Now, this orange line is the main line that you should look at. What does this orange line look like in general? It looks what? Flat, isn't it? Generally, it's sort of flat. What does that mean? It means that we've maintained the cost, uh, the average cost of our energy through the year. What is the blue line? The blue line, actually, is the money that we actually spend every month. So you have to go, it goes up and down, but the average is the average of this. Now, why is that thing going up and down? Do you know why? Do you know why? This year alone, the cost of our energy has gone up twice. It's gone up by a total of almost 79%. First time they hit us with 40% increase. We cried, 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 but God wiped our tears. <laughs> and people, you are praying for us. And then just recently again, they now hit it up by another 27.5, 0.6%. So it's about 79%. It has gone all the way up. Now, if it goes up like that, then how come this thing is still flat? I'll tell you why it's flat. Show me the next chart. It's flat because of that. This is the energy consumption. When you see something going down, what does that mean? We, we, we cut, we try cut. In other words, for us to not, to keep this thing flat, 
We didn't continue the same lifestyle. We dropped our lifestyle. Hey, why is that AC on there? Put the AC on. <laughs> off. Put it off. What do we need it for? So people, as you know, that my office is in my, uh, my office is in my, is also in my house. So when I bring some staff for a meeting, they say, ah, Pastor, this place is not hot. I, I direct the fan to them. <laughs> the fan is okay. It's okay. Put one fan anyhow. Light, everything. I'm shouting, shouting. The, as, the, as, the, as the rate was going up, the decibel level of my voice was going up. <laughs> you know what we did? We adjusted our lifestyle so that we could keep our spending the same. You have a choice to make. That's essentially what it is. You see, you go back to that inflation thing. You go back to that inflation thing. You, you have the choice to keep it at 50000 But 50000 may mean you go from Indomie to Maggi noodles. I don't even know if there's still Maggi noodles. This is where I just... Right? It may mean that you go from... I don't know now. Is it Joy Soap? And you now go to... I don't know. You, you change... I changed... I love one toothpaste I was using. It was called Crest or something. Crest, I don't know. It was one very nice to pay. But at one point, it was 6,900. It was finishing in one week. Ah! Why, why I just went and started... I don't know. I'm not going to tell you one she bought. You now say, ah, you're still at that level. That is not that. We changed. We used to take suya every week. Oh, it's gone. It's just gone. I feel sorry. It's just gone. Suya is just like, if you invite us, it's gone. I'm not even joking. Like, we cut all our... Every, there, there is no brand of anything in our house that has not gone down. Everything has gone down. How we even use our petrol? It's not, we, we can't just be visiting anywhere. <laughs> because inflation is rising. Can I tell you something? I'm not using it to boost my chest. In the same time inflation has been going up, our giving has not be, remained the same. It has gone up. And I mean to the church, to campaigns, to rent, to NGOs that we support, everything. Why? Because all of those people are still feeling also the weight of the inflation as well. And so we who are brushed that we are not called to live. I'm asking you the question, what aspect of your lifestyle are you going to sacrifice so that you can continue to invest in the kingdom of God? That is the hard choice. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, there is a point where at some point some things break. Like you, that is now not about changing the brand of your soap. It is about not using soap. I know I understand. <laughs> but until that time comes, yes, sometimes we do have to cut a little bit of our giving. But also, cut a little bit of your savings. Cut a little bit of your investment. Can you not remove 1%? Or will you die if you remove 1%? Or why can't you go from 20 to 19%? So that we can give. Hard truths, but spoken in love. Amen? Amen? We have to change. We have to deal with the value problem, deal with the moral problem, and deal with what? And deal with what? The planning problem. But I do want to say this, particularly for those of us in ministry. We must do better at building trust. You see, all these anti-tithing crusaders, they didn't come from nowhere. And some of them, we gave them the legitimacy. You see this in, in verse 3 and 4. It says, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me, for me to go also, they will accompany me. You may not fully understand why he did this. The reason he did this is he explained further. Why did he send this man? Explain further in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19, 21. I'll soon wrap up. He said, what is more, he was chosen by the church. It's 2 Corinthians 8, verse 19, 21. Isn't that what we have? What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering. As we carry the offering which we administer in order 
to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. They were sending somebody to accompany him. But let me tell you why they were sending the person. Keep going, verse 20. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer what? This liberal gift, verse 21. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Listen, pastors, ministry leaders, all of these things. We can say, oh, I've said the value of the church. is not Yes, the value of church. We have to be accountable. We have to be accountable. We have to build trust. We have to not give people any reason to be able to question how, he said, how the liberal gift is being administered. And notice he didn't just say, don't just say, I am being accountable to God alone. He said, not just in the sight of the Lord, but what? In the sight of men as well. Bad accountability is bad for mission. If people cannot trust to be able to put in your hands, then... Why? They don't trust they are going to do with it what you are meant to do. If people start questioning overly lavish or, or a, 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 a terrible kind of spending, and they say, ah, but things are being ignored. Most people are okay with the people in their ministry doing well. They are fine, but things enter into extravagance. So you need accountability systems that are transparent. Now, of course, you always have to balance transparency with the privacy of the, of the people that are paying all of that, but it should still be. I can't speak for other churches, but I can't. If somebody is, you are, you are new to City Church, you're asking, how do you do that here? Ah, we have layers and layers of it. First of all, the accountant that works for us is an external accountant. So if we want to tell him to do something, he can just blow the whistle. He's not, he's not, he doesn't work for us. Second, we have uh, uh, our treasurer. The treasurer of our, our account is not on staff. He's a lay person. You know him, the Kinolumde, right? And we can't bribe him. We don't have enough money to bribe him. Third, after that, we met yesterday, we have a finance committee of nine people. Nine people. Only two of the nine are on staff. Only two of the nine are on staff. Seven of them are not on staff. Dikin Femi, Dikin Feyi, right, Francis, Moses, Yemi is the chair of the finance committee. All of these people can see every single thing that we spend. Fourth, we do annual filing to government. You say they don't look at it. Okay, fifth, our accounts are audited externally. Then if that one is not enough, all that one is Nigeria. We still submit our account to a management team that is not here, that oversees church externally, so that they too can look at it. And then they still file to the U.S. government for all of that. And you see what I'm saying. So whether your church, if you are watching and you're in another church or something, whether it may not be exactly like this, but we need to be accountable. And we do it not just so that people will love us, but he says, because we want to do what is right. It is right to do it. Amen. But finally, and you say, hey, finally, you have not done my third point. Final point. Somebody says this, and, and I know this, this person will not say this to me, but it's in your heart, so let me just help you. You see, the issue here is actually I've even adjusted my living cost, the inflation. I've actually cut down my living cost. So that's not a problem. My problem is I can't give to the church because I'm not increasing because I like to see the yield in my investment. And if I put into church the yield of my investment, I only see it on you, Pastor Femi. I won't see it in something else. I like to see the yield and I can't immediately see any yield from my investment in church. So why should I do it? And first of all, I'll say, go and listen to the last sermon because we speak about the yield that you can get. At least we list about nine of them, and some of them are even related to you personally. But I will say this 
if you are talking in, that, in those terms, I can't disagree with you per se. Why can't I disagree with you? Yes, because if you go and put your money in a fixed dollar account or something, yes, you would see the yield. So I can't agree with, I can't disagree with you on that. But it's not that I don't disagree, I, I, I refrain to disagree with you because I agree. No, I don't agree with you. The reason is because you are thinking about investment too narrowly. You are thinking about what? Investment what? Too narrowly. Can you broaden your horizon? Why? Because I'll tell you this, investing in the kingdom of God is the best investment you can make. The best investment that will give you the best yield. How do I know that? Who knows the difference between what you call old money and new money? Have you ever heard of new money and old money? You know new money, old money. What's new money? New money is money, that's money that someone has made, the scale of which cannot be attributed to the influence of their parents or their family. That, you know, like Bill Gates, when he first made money, it's new money. Because even though his parents were upper middle class, you know, there's something, it's one thing to be earning $800,000. It's another thing to be earning $80 billion. You know, they're not quite the same thing. So new money people often, some of the differences are new money, the, most of their money is really based on stocks and equity. Right? That's why somebody today, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world. Next thing, business is the richest. Why? It's just the stock is just going up and down. Whereas old money, most of their money is cash and assets, actual things. New money people like to talk about money a lot because the thing just came. <laughs> old money, it has always been there. They hardly ever talk about money. They don't. New money like to spend on trendy things. Old money likes to spend on traditional things. New money likes to go to restaurants to host people. Old money likes to host people at home, in-house dining. Are you following? One more thing. New money likes to make their money more. Old money likes to make their money last. When they think about investment, they think differently. New money wants to 3x, 4x. Old money is just thinking, where can I put this thing? I don't care whether it is giving me, you know, 5%, but it continues to perpetuate. They are always thinking more long term. Because they understand that the longer the yield time, the better the investment. The longer the yield time, the better what? The investment. A wealth manager recently told me, he said some of the richest families in Nigeria, because there's a, there's a written rule that the wealth of families does not pass three generations, most times. Because the first generation that made it, they are good, they send their children to school, and those children learn a little bit about the business, but they, don't, they are not as hardworking, and then when they are training their own children, those ones are spoiled, those ones just spend all the money. Three generations. So that he said that some of the wealthiest families in Nigeria are obsessed in putting their portfolio and their structures in a way that their, in their, their wealth is going to last 10 generations. So they are thinking 10 generations. Why? Because the, better, the, the longer the yield time, the better the investment. They are thinking about investments that will last 10 generations. So I said that investing in the kingdom is the best investment. I must be able to back that up in terms of time. Amen? Somebody open to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is what? So uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Why? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. Stop. If they put their hope in wealth, if their hope is in wealth, you know what they will do? They will keep the wealth. But if their hope is in God, they are able to what? Share the wealth. And listen to what it then says. Verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for what? 
the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Listen, there are short-term investments, there are mid-term investments, there are long-term investments. In fact, there are generational investments. But there's one investment that you can never beat. It is called what? An eternal investment. If you invest in this world, yes, you can find something that will pass maybe 10 generations. But the Bible tells us this. This world as it is, it is eventually going to perish. All the investment that you put in here, one time or the other, fire is going to burn. My friend used to say, you don't know my joke, but boy. My fire is going to burn everything. That's what he says in 2 Peter. He says that the heavens and the earth are now, they are reserved for the fire of the, day, the terrible day of the Lord. All the investments that we make, I'm not saying don't make investments, I'm saying they all have a time limit. There is one investment though, that if you invest now in this world, you will reap what? In the world that is to come. And I can assure you there's a world to come because that same Peter says, we according to his promise, look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I am trying to say this, there is an investment you can make in this world that the yield time goes beyond this world, the yield time goes into the world to come. And if you truly believe that the better the investment the longer the yield time then invest in the kingdom because God has proven this because if you say how do you know this I say God has proven it God himself is the ultimate wealth manager I said this recently at a funeral I won't say it again have you noticed the similarities and dissimilarities between burying and planting Burying and plant, burying someone and planting someone, a seed. When you bury someone and you plant a seed, it's the same motion. You put them in the ground. And it's the same thing, you put them in the ground to die. Similarities. But they're also dissimilar. Because when you put somebody, you bury somebody in the ground, you're not expecting the person to rise up. They stay there. Amen. But when you put a seed into the ground, you water the seed, what happens? The seed eventually sprouts up, it leads to a tree, and the tree bears fruit, and the fruit then brings up what? Many other seeds. And so when Jesus' hour had come, the hour for him to be glorified in John chapter 12, he says this, that God, that, that except a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, what? It, does, it abides alone. It remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces what? Many seeds. Jesus is that seed that God invested. Jesus was put in this world. And he was not just put in this world. He was put in the grave. And not just was he put in the grave. He wasn't just being buried. God was planting him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't just becoming, he didn't just come back from life. He became the first person of the world, the new heavens and the new earth. He became the first person. That's why the Bible says he is the firstborn of what? The new creation. Or that it was fitting for God to make the captain of our salvation suffer because he was bringing many sons and daughters to glory. God invested Jesus so that he can reap all of us if we trust in Jesus in the world to come. And now God says when you are sowing, when you are putting into the kingdom, you are actually reaping a harvest that is in the world to come. See the church, one of my prayers, especially as we conclude this series, is this. That when people see us, what they will identify about us is that we're a generous church, not just a generous church, we're a gospel-centered church and that makes us generous, but we're not just generous from the heart. We're not just generous in our deeds. We are generous in our method as well. 
that we will be generous not just in words and kind, but we will be generous in the things that we give. Put a method, put a plan, put a system to your giving and see whether God will not bless you in all ways. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.